Okay, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. It said, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you. So I thank my God every time I remember you. And in all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. So there's a group of people here that when he prays for them, they bring him joy. When you pray for the church, or when you pray for brothers and sisters in the church, what is the nature of your prayer? And what does he do to you? Does he bring you frustration or does he bring you joy? Because of your, the reason why you pray for him, he said, because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, I'm being confident of this, that you began a good work, there's that work, in you will carry it in on sorry, will carry it onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then he says this, he makes this astounding, powerful comment. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you. It's right for me to have certain kind of feelings that when I focus my attention in prayer towards heaven for you you release certain emotions and feelings inside of me. That's important. When, just close your eyes right now and think about some certain people. Think about certain people. And when you close your eyes, not everybody you think about brings you joy. Not everyone excites you when you pray for them. Certain people bring certain emotions to the surface in us all. Yes, depending what kind of relationship or interaction we've had with them. It's true, isn't it? And that's why some people you don't need, you don't want to think about. Because instantly they trigger certain emotions. Yeah? And yet others, you could think about them all day long. When you're going to give your kids a mouthful, you think about it, don't you? You think about it and you think, when I get hold of them, I'm going to unleash the kraken. That's the monster. And then he says this, I'm, uh, since I have you in my heart, for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. He mentions the word you a couple of times, two or three times. There is a certain group of people that is carried in this man's heart. But this letter is not written just by anyone. This letter is written by a father to his children. Not a physical father with physical children, but a spiritual father written to spiritual people who have got Paul's who Paul carries affection for. It's so important that when you're rebuilding your family, that affection becomes the motivating force. You cannot fight for people without affection. Affection is a key thing. Why? Because it inspires us to keep on fighting for those people we love. And notice what he said. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you. So his heart was pure. His heart was clean. His motives were right. There was sincerity in his heart. 
And he carried the affection for the right issue. So when he's praying for these group of people, how many of you know, because he's got this kind of spirit flowing through him, how many of us know that it's a lot easier to fight for someone with this? This emotion inside of your heart. So it's no ordinary letter. It's a father's heart written towards his children. And from the heart of this man, he begins to push for the power of one. He wants them all to be like him. What he feels in his heart, the affections of his heart, he wants all his kids to reflect. Yes? So it's a father fighting for his kids, and he wants, to, he wants all his children, spiritual children, to become like him. Thank God your heavenly father intercedes for you so that you can become like him. That's the key. Your heavenly father, no one, it's not just anyone praying up there. The Holy Ghost is interceding. Christ is interceding. The Father, all together, come together to intercede for those people who will fill his heart, who he's got affection for. Yeah? yeah? God's got affection for you. And God, as we'll see in a minute, God wants you to become like him. So that you and him together can operate in that power of one. Now, you, you're familiar now with the phrase, e Pluribus unum. E pluribus unum. That's not English. It's not Swahili. It's not European. It's not African. It's not, it's not French. It's not whatever you want. It's Latin. And it literally means out of many, one. Out of many, one. Out of three, there is one. One in three. Three in one. Yeah? And that's on every American coin there is. And America, though she's got 200 million people, she says, out of many, there's one. We are one nation. God bless America. Okay? Yes, bless them, Lord. So I speak, I've been trying to speak on this power because unless we can enter this realm, we will never see the victory of fighting for families. This realm, this dimension, this power, because it is a power, when you can bring people together, starts when you have affection for one another. You know, when very often people say, pray for such and such a body, if you don't know them, the chances are you won't pray for them. But if you know somebody and you feel strongly towards them and someone says they need prayer, you're going to pray for them. Why? Because there's emotions attached to it. I can't pray for things that I don't feel something for or about. Yeah? Do you understand that? It's so important that we understand that. So, this power of one was the very dimension and very power that the early church functioned in. They understood e pluribus unum. And we'll, I'll show you that in a minute. But, it's, you know, this power of one can become a very, very strong magnetic force. Do you know, if you try and break me and Carol apart, you're going to find some resistance. 
Why? Because there's affection for one another. If you try and get into my family and take my kids away from me, you're going to be met. It's going to be met with some resistance. Why? Because there's a strong magnetic pull. Pulling us together, not pulling us apart, it's pulling us together. It's a bond, it's a glue. Amen? Why? Because there's nothing like family. Now, when there's no affection and no love for family, nothing can keep it together. It takes love and concern to keep families together. No one fights for what they don't get concerned over. So when, you know what I observed last week and how the power of one was working amongst us last week. Because last week is a very good window to see whether we have any power of one in our midst or where we just have loads of individuals doing their own thing. So it was a very good test, School of the Prophets, to observe certain behaviors because there's nothing like tension in a kitchen. There's nothing like people saying, my dinner's cold or I don't like this, or I wanted that. There's nothing like obnoxious people, inconsiderate people, to ruffle the hearts of the servants. But it's good for you. It's good when you get a complaint. It's good when someone moans. Why? Because I want to see your response. I've been here all day. Justification. It's just great to see how people respond. But what you didn't know is that as you're working, as you're synergizing and pulling together, other people are watching. Oh, yes. Other people are observing. Other people are taking note, taking into account the atmosphere and how your behavior either creates an atmosphere or adds to it. You can create your own atmosphere. You know that, don't you? I can create an atmosphere in an empty house. And we had some testimonies coming back last week. Yeah, because people were observing. You're gone. I'm telling you, when you read these, you're gone, all of you. No, no. And this is what they said. Individual testimonies came back. I have seen the word. I have seen the spirit. And I have seen community functioning in your church. And I loved it. Yeah, that's a good thing, doesn't it, when someone says that? I've seen the Spirit, I've seen the Word, I've seen community function in the church, and I loved it. Then somebody, somebody else wrote in, we have, we have never seen such unity. No backbiting, everyone just getting on with, it, with what they have to do, fully supporting each other, wonderful. That's good, that's good. Then another comment came in. There's a real family here in this place. You can sense it when you walk in the building. That's good. That's good. We need that. We didn't ask for these. We didn't pay them. We didn't say, send us a nice nice response and we'll refund your money back. And then last one was, seeing different races working collectively together with one face and with one common aim. Thrilled my heart immensely. I sensed. I never thought it was possible until my eyes witnessed it. It's good. That's very, very good. So the key to these, to these testimonies coming through, do you know what it was? Was you've got to give people a challenge. You've got to give people a sense of cause. 
Because without a cause and a challenge, there was no way or no reason for people to come together. And last week we were building together. We had a cause in the house. We had a conference to put on. We had the nations to host. So that meant synergy was needed amongst our house. And all that's in our house, the, 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 the differences get put aside. Why? Because we must work together because we saw the common good. Now, some people stood and observed it. Others got involved in it. There's a difference. And those who got involved was good. And those who observed it was good. But you can't observe forever. At some point, you've got to get in. Now, what I've realized is this. When God wants to create the power of one inside a church, there are certain prejudices, certain attitudes that God has to, or God will reveal in you as you're doing it. It's true. You only have to work with somebody for 10 minutes to realize they're different from you. And you only have to be with them long enough to realize that your way is better than theirs. That's called attitude, right? You think my way is better than yours. And the other person think, the other person's saying, no, it's not. And that's when division comes in. But working together reveals so many different things. And I've, I've realized that God will challenge the leader's heart and challenge the hearts of every individual in this church towards building the power of one. It reveals more about you than it ever does about us. Yeah, it really does. But when it gets celebrated, the us get celebrated, not the you. It's true, isn't it? They never once used any names in those testimonies. I want to thank Dave or whoever it was. No, no, they just said, I saw in your church. So that comment alone tells it they're not part of this church. They're from outside. So they're watching, they're observing, they step right in and think, what is it? What makes this family tick? I sense something in the air. Yeah, out of all the smells that were in this kitchen, in this building last week, they sense the right things. And that's a beautiful thing to, to see. It is. You know, every area that I lead you in or ask you to willingly surrender in, I've also been challenged in. Because for me to ask you to do something that I am not willing to do is hypocritical. And I've realized that on route to power of one, the one who's asking must also be challenged and must have also broke through in certain areas because it's not right for him to ask you to do it and, it, and them not do it. And I realized that when in my challenge on this power of one, God spoke to me many years ago when I first came into, uh, into this church and I was coming into, and I was in leadership. When all my troubles broke out, my troubles broke out when I realized the, power, the fight for destiny was on. Now, this is what I learned, and you might need to put this down. When, the, when personality becomes stronger than the cause, what you're fighting for, you're in trouble. Your individual personality cannot be at the front of every battle you fight. Let me say that again, but it so often is. Your personality cannot be at the front of every battle you fight. Your personality may be strong. 
so that you can use your personality to intimidate or to bulldoze your way through. Though personality is a God-given thing, it has to be restrained. And many of us have got, well, we've all, we've all got a personality. And we all know how to use it. Of course we do. Some people, well, not men, this is a girl thing, they know how to flatter their eyes. You know, flutter their eyes, sorry. Flatter, they flatter with the fluttering. Right? Others will just speak, right, as it is. Others will use other forms of their personality to get their way. We all know it exists in every one of us, so just say yes, Pastor, you're right. Yeah? But here's what I found out personality. Personality, if not controlled, will lead me into a wilderness called exile. Because if I've got to win every time there's a battle, at some point I'm going to find a force stronger than me. At some point, I will run into a force that is stronger than me. Yes? And depending how much power they have, they'll send me into exile. So, if there is a battle of personality, what attitude do you think you need to take? You may need to stand your ground, but you do it with humility. It's not the same as personality. Personality is flesh and blood, therefore it's a spirit. A spirit can drive flesh and blood. But humility takes, it takes the spirit of God. It takes a controlling of the flesh. You can, you can still stand strong, but be, be uh, humble. Yes? You can. And I learned a long time ago that when I fought for the battle of destiny for the Dream Center, I had to do it not by personality. And the moment personality gets in the way, you're gone. And guess what else it does? It also destroys all those connected with you. My personality, if I'm arrogant and strong, I'll lead us all down the garden path. So strong is strong, that's one thing. But personality strong is something else. Strong in grace and spirit is one, is one gift. But strong in your personality is, is no good. I can't lead you by my personality. I cannot also get rid of my personality. My personality is part, is part of me. But if there's no spirit dynamic going behind it, personality will be the only thing you see. I don't want you to see personality. I want you to see grace. Paul never once, listen, we know Paul was hard. We know Paul was arrogant at times, but then God gets hold of his heart and you begin to see a completely different character. But you see, you still see the personality there. You still see the strength to stand for what he believes, but you also see a grace and a humility there. Paul never fought the same way ever again. Paul was putting people in chains. He had the ability to be arrogant and in your face. But when this grace came on him, he was willing to be put in chains. There's a difference. So personality will destroy the power of one. It will. Why? Because your version of the power of one means you come over to my thinking. That's not the power of one. 
The power of one is when we synergize our hearts together for the common common good. Not because I dominated you by my words. Come on. I learned that a long time ago. You do not lead people by personality. But charismania has personalities. Charismania is flawed. It's not real. Why? Because it's all about how it wants you to perceive them. But when the man or the woman gets off the platform, you realize they're no different from you. But up there, when they can, when they can glow and glitter, it's fake up there. So personality, your personality can never rule the roost. It'll only ever destroy. I also learned another thing about what you're going to get challenged about en route to the power of one. Standing for righteousness gets the attention of God. It gets the fury of man, but it gets the attention of God. When you stand for righteousness, God loves it. Yes? Now, you can't stand for righteousness and then use your personality. You have to stand for righteousness because righteousness is a spirit that's operating on the inside. So you can't operate it in one spirit and then flow on another. The two can't conflict. Yes? You see, in the Old Testament, we realized or we saw that Eli, who was the priest, did not carry the righteousness in his family. I should say, his family did not carry righteous behavior. They were taking the, uh, the offerings, and they were doing things with the offerings they shouldn't be doing, and the guys were sleeping with the women of their own choosing. And Eli was the father, and Eli was the priest. Not only was the father of his sons, but he was the priest of a nation, and God expected righteousness to be inside his own house. And I learned a long time ago that if you don't have righteousness in the house and stand for righteousness, irrespective of it's, if it's in, uh, unrighteousness in your friends or your family, if you don't stand for righteousness, you're gone. You'll never bring people into the power of one if there's no righteousness. Power of one must be righteous. It must have righteousness at its core. I learned another thing about, about uh, the power of one. That to have the power of one, not only must you have righteousness, but you must have godly values. Godly values. See, the moment you bring godly values into your family, it has the potential to create trouble. Because for standing for godly values, especially when you've got other family members who don't feel like you feel and are not in love with the God that you're in love with, standing for things can create a problem. It really can. And you, but you'll be tested on what are your values. It's amazing when I prepare people for marriage, I get them to create a value statement. Right? In other words, things that they tell themselves and are convinced they will not surrender, will not compromise, and not allow to be hijacked, right? They create the values, not me. I encourage them to create this, and I go through it with them, and I, then comp- we compile this list, what they believe, they believe. Get this, they believe. 
And I guarantee within six months of the marriage, they've compromised most of them. I guarantee that when trouble hits your marriage and you've been prepared by me, I can take you back to the stages that I prepared you for. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Why? Because I'm meticulous in my preparation. And I'll tell you, this is what you prepare for. This, expect this. This is coming. That will come in. Why? Because they're common to man. It's called marriage. And when it breaks down, I bet I can go to, oh, okay, clause four, section three, paragraph one. <clears throat> you wrote that. Where do you think, you're, where do you think you stand on that? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I can see what I've done. Right. But I prepared you for it. What I can't do is live it for you. You've got to go through it. But you created that value statement. And if you can be compromised and you can be hijacked, then it's not a value. Because your value was based on how you felt about something. And the moment I don't feel the same way, then I compromise. I realize that if you're going to bring people into the power of one, values must become the pillars in the house. Because people need, they need values support, become the support structure in every relationship, every marriage, every family. If we take certain uh, support structures away in this building, this building will collapse. Yes? If we take the lintels out the window, the chances are the roof will call, fall in. If we take a low bearing, if we take that, that uh, joist out of there, the chances are that flat roof gone. There are certain structures in a building that underpin the weight and carry the whole thing. Every marriage, every relationship, every church must have the pillars. It must have structure in it. The moment you take it away, the moment you attack those pillars, the moment you you rip them out of its structure, you're going to have problems. So the power of one must have values. It must. When did God ever compromise himself? The, but, that's his, but that's what makes him a pillar. That he won't compromise. That's the standard. God is a weight-bearing God. He carries the world. And he carries your world. Can you imagine if God decided to all of a sudden abandon his own principles? The world, exactly. The whole structure would collapse. But you expect and I expect God to keep his end of the deal, but we can negotiate all our values. The Ten Commandments have never been negotiated. You know that old joke? Moses goes up on the mountain, goes up the mountain, comes down. He says, I've got good news and bad news. So they say, what is it? He said, the good news is I've negotiated and I've got God down to ten. The bad news is he won't budge on marriage. I'll let you think about that one. Why? Because they wanted adultery. God won't compromise on what he spoke. The Ten Commandments are the pillars, are the value system that, that undermine, it's just that support structure for society. You take them away, you've got chaos. I learned that, I also learned a long time ago that if we're going to keep the power of one, you must protect the rudder, the rudder of the ship. So the power of one. Right now, let's just say this is, this is the rudder, the pulpit, for instance. It's one example of a rudder. 
And I then let people in our church speak in this pulpit who I don't have any knowledge about, don't, don't know them, and they come in and then they begin to speak. They can reset the frequency in this house. Right? They can mess it up. You know, there's nothing worse. I get in the father, father-in-law's car. The first thing I do is I play with his radio. Never, play, never touch a man's radio. It's the golden rule. But he doesn't have talk sport in it. And I'm not listening to that smooth radio. So we got to have... So what I do now is I've set my radio station, the one I want, and then I flick it back over so he doesn't know. But when he's in my car, he plays with the radio and leaves it. Scott does the same thing. It winds, winds me up. Right? Because my radio is a bit of a pain trying to get retuned back in again. So Scott says, I know how to do it, Dad. So you know how to do it. I don't. But I say, leave it back on there or you're dead. You did. Right? So the issue is this is, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> what I was going to say now. <laughs> was it? Someone remind me what I was going to say. It's just come. Frequency, thank you. It's just come out of my head. There's a frequency that if you change my radio station, you've reset my ears. Yeah? And ha. So I've set the frequency that I like in my car. In the church, we've set the frequency that we believe God has asked us to set and God has shown us to set. And if you open the pulpit to people that you don't know and have no relationship with, the chances are they will begin to reset the frequency and jam the whole thing up. It's so important people don't realize this. It's true. And years ago, we used to have all kinds of speakers coming through. And then I realized, and then I began to make certain demands upon those speakers that we don't build relationship in our pulpit. We build it before we get to the pulpit. And, it's, and the, re, uh, the result of our relationship then determines whether you get to speak. And I've had to stand for this value. Now, what you didn't know, and I'm going to tell you, is even last week for our SOP... I got challenged in this very area. And Phil will tell you. So I had to sit down with the guys in Malaysia and tell them, because they wanted a certain speaker, they suggested a certain speaker join us. And I said, not on my watch. Why? That person creates no relationship, no fellowship, no reason. And I cannot let that man stand in our pulpit when I've told our people, unless you have relationship, with us, you don't, you don't speak. And they all acknowledged it. They said, okay. I said, I cannot move from this value, guys. I said, I know you want me to, but I refuse. And that was my condition. SOP came here. That these were the speakers, and that person be given more time to build relationship before they're allowed to speak. I think that's right. But I was tested. I was tested, and I had, to th- I had to think about it, and I had to go and have my summons and my conversation and sit down with them, try and find the best way to say no. I wasn't arrogant. I tried to be as humble as I possibly can, but guys, you need to know, as humble as I am, no. This is a line I'm not crossing. Take it out of the church, and I haven't got an issue. But if you bring it in here, this is the rules. This is not a European thing. This is our thing. So sometimes you have to stand and find the grace to present your case. I didn't let personality rule. I let grace rule. I also learned 
that if you're going to bring people into the power of one, ready for this, write this down, you must have the power of reconciliation working in your life. If you have no way of reconciling your indifferences with people, you will never enter into the power of one. You will always see your indifference as a reason for you not joining your strength. Gone quiet now. Reconciliation is a key part of entering and encouraging others to enter into the power of one. What is the one thing that our society suffers from? Is reconciliation. In America right now, reconciliation is a major issue. Why? Because you've got the, the blacks are fighting over their rights, and then you've got the whites. Many of the whites are supporting the blacks because they can see that there's a bad deal going down. But then there are some whites who don't think like that. And, and there ever was a nation that needed reconciled differences in, in, in terms of its uh, color prejudice, it's America. Right? But you only have to look at our nation. Look at how many different nations are in our nation, but reconciliation doesn't seem to be at the heart of, of community anymore. Nobody knows how, it seems like people have lost the art of saying sorry. It seems like no one's got the, the humility about them to say, you know what, I may, have effect, I may have hurt you when I said that. I may have stuffed up. Can I ask you to forgive me? Can, I be, can we be reconciled? Is there any way we can get past this? But if that's not operating in you, it won't operate in people around you. You expect your children to say, say sorry. Sorry, mummy. Sorry, daddy. And then if they don't say sorry, say, right, run. Go to your room. You're not having it until you say. But what did you do? You forced it out of them. They weren't reconciling with you. But you started the process. You encouraged them that at some point they must reconcile their indifference. So you start the process teaching them that sorry is good. And then hopefully they will develop a conscience... And at some point, they will come to you before you find them out. And they will say, Mom, I've messed up. Can you forgive me? And then love of a parent goes, yes. You know, or it might be, yes. But it, there's got to be a yes in there somewhere. Right? Why? Because you want your children to have a conscience. And that's what seems to be missing in our society, certainly in politics. Certainly in business, this art of reconciliation is wrong. So here's the strap line for this. You ready for it? The grace to build will always mature the builder. The grace to build and bring people into the power of one will mature you, the one who's instigating the power of one. So the grace to build and mature Sorry, the grace to build will mature the builder. Let that thought sink in. So at some point, if I'm saying to you right now, if I just said to Phil, is there a, is there a desire in you, Phil, to, to move to the power of one? Yes. Right, so God's got to mature him. The grace, the desire is a grace. Hello? The grace inside Phil, the desire is backed up by the grace. There's an evident grace in him that he wants to move into the power of one. Right. So he will become a builder of the power of one. But that grace must mature the builder. Yeah. 
You can't just say, I've got a great idea, let's all come together. And let's just stay together. We just all want to be one happy family. Get real. It doesn't work like that. So you will be matured if you have that desire inside you to build in the power of one, you will be tested and be matured. And I've just outlined those areas where I've been personally been tested in and trained in by God. I cannot be where I'm at the stage where I'm at right now in my life because God personally tested me in those areas. Right? And those areas as what has qualified me to operate in the power of one. There must be key markers in your life that qualify you. Yeah? Last week, seeing that team, or this team of, of speakers, bring that word to, to those who were here, that was a journey. That hasn't just happened. And anyone, Phil knows and Paul knows, the journey we've had to make as pastors to get to that place where we could just stand together. Why? When you have pastors from different backgrounds, different cultures, different languages, coming together, pastors are no different from the congregation. They've all got egos. They've all got elements of immaturity. And they've all got areas in the life that God is working on. Yes? And they all need to work through those areas of reconciling their differences. That's where our conflict was. When we first started to meet together, there seemed to be so much tension in the room that nobody wanted to reconcile the differences. And immaturity, you could smell it in the room. Now, Papa Jonathan has a mandate to disciple nations. Do you know how hard that is? When you've got pastors that come to our global conferences with the same immaturities of the people in their own congregations, you've got a job on. Now, Pastor, uh, Papa Jonathan is trying to raise a company of apostolic men and women. And yet many of those pastors need a pastor. So they look to Jonathan David like he's going to be their pastor. He's not offering that. That's not what he's offering. He's an apostle who's raising other apostles. Or the gift that's in him, the grace that's in him, he's maturing it. So that takes a different stature. So when you've got all this immaturity, uh, immaturity level inside that, discipling nations is not an easy thing to do. But this mandate to disciple of nations means some point that network must, must start operating in the power of one. That has taken years. We've been in it since 2000. 16 years We've been connecting with, well, actually, we've been probably connecting with Jonathan about 17 and a half years on and off. But for 17 and a half years, I've never seen what we're entering into today in that network. Where we've come to today is the result of maturity rising and reconciling our indifferences and learning to get beyond ourselves. It takes, it takes a time. So... Here's the issue. If a father's going to disciple a nation, or a father's going to disciple nations, or a father's going to disciple a church, there's a process. 
The power of one just does not happen overnight. If a father is to disciple the nations, then God must set that man apart on his own first. God must work on that man, get that man ready so that that man is qualified to lead others. That's what's happening to me. That's what has happened to me. And that's what will continue to happen to me. God must constantly keep speaking. Son, come aside. Come aside, son. Why? Because we need to talk and there's more work that needs to be done on you. Your father sees that you need some more work on you. Come aside. But, but I want to stay out here with, with the people. Come aside. If there is no coming aside, then you can never be perfected. This is the problem. Coming aside is not coming to church. Coming aside is when you put your heart and you seek God in your own time, willingly, finding a place, finding a time. God, work in my heart, Lord. I'm pursuing you. That's coming aside. Every one of us need that. Now, the problem is you can't, you can always tell who are the ones who have been willing to come aside when you try to move towards the power of one because you'll always find those who don't resist. Those who do, are the, those who become willing are the ones that put their lives to one side and say, God, you're working in me. You're working on me. You're working through me. You must work through what God's working out. Amen? Or you must work out what God's working in, I should say. So God must set aside the man, the woman. That's process one. A father then, this father, or you and your family, must then... Begin what God is doing in you, you must then begin to do in your family. Very, very often what we do as fathers and mothers, we want to do the work in our kids, but God, we won't let God do the work in us. And we, we assume because we're mother and father, we have authority to keep on doing it. And yes, you do. That is your God responsibility to keep working on your children. But why is it God, you won't allow God to work in you? Now, your authority and your wisdom is limited when you restrict God from working in you. Can you imagine how much more wisdom you could give to your family if the connection point between you and your father and you and your children is wide open? Pastor Kwame was telling me he used to work for Fuji, Japanese company, and there was a lot of pressure on, and the guy he was working with in Japan didn't speak English and didn't speak German. But he is, the, he is the national director for Fuji in Germany. So how do they get their orders over to Kwame? How do they get their wants and their wills and their desires over? It, the time it was taking to get things translated was killing Kwame. The pressure to, for the sales was getting on him. And he said, God, you've got to do something. You've got to do something. And he's praying and he's saying, oh, I'll leave, I'll leave then. I'll, I'll leave the company. And Kwame says this, I'm in bed one day with my wife. He said, and my three-year daughter walks into the bedroom. A three-year-old, how old? Three-year-old. She said, Daddy, the Lord has just told me, you can leave if you want to, but he'll bless you. But if you stay, he'll bless you even more. That's a three-year-old daughter. Three-year-old daughter prophesies to her own father. You can leave, God says you can leave the company if you want to and he'll bless you. But if you stay and learn the ways of his hands, he'll bless you even more. And after that, she starts playing again. Kwame goes, did, did I just hear what I just heard then? 
Why? Because the connection between him and his father's open, and the connection between him and his daughter's open, so God can speak to the daughter to speak to the father. That's when, that's when God's working on you. God can work on you and speak to you either this way or that way. Your kids must be able to speak to you. But if you're closed for God speaking to you, how can your kids ever be speaking to you because your heart's closed? I'm longing for the day when Ella or Harper come in and start prophesying over granddad. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great day when your grandkids start prophesying. Amen? See, the hearts of the fathers must turn to the sons so the hearts of the sons can turn to the fathers. It's a biblical process. The heart, the heart of the father's turning to the son. Why is he turning? Because his heart's already turned to God. His heart has turned to God, so then God can turn his heart so it can be turned towards the son. Yes? He just doesn't turn his heart to sons. It's God, because he's yielded his heart and turned it to God, God then flips it and turns it that way. Why? Because whatever God does to you has to flow through you. So then the third principle is sons must disciple their own churches or their own sons. It's your responsibility to disciple your family. Your responsibility. Well, my sons are not Christians. My daughter, disciple them. Wisdom is still good discipleship. You can't force them. You can't force them to come to church. You can't force them to pray. But you can keep on influencing them. You can disciple them with your influence. You can disciple them with your wisdom. Then father and sons have partnership. Once father's heart's been turned to the sons and the sons have been turned to the father, there is a partnership that creates, that is created in the family and the power of one is created. And then what happens is the scripture tells us that the father then can go and contend at the gates of his enemies and his sons will be there in the battle. Sons are an asset to us. They're not a liability, they are an asset. Right? But it, there's a whole process for that to become a reality. There should be power of one in your house. There has to be. Even, in, even with indifference, there can still be power of one. You can still be trying to negotiate with your kids in some areas and there still be power of one. In fact, if I'm honest, we're always negotiating with our kids at some point. So if you're going to disciple people, you need materials. Got to have materials. And last, you see, even when we look at Nehemiah, we realize that even in the book of Nehemiah, there was so much power of one going on, but there was a certain company in that company of people who refused to put their strength alongside others. There's always someone who refuses. We'll do it, but we're not doing it with you. That's called independence. When you look at that, they all, when you look at that rebuilding that in Nehemiah's life, they all linked arms together. They all did the work. There was a family experience. There was a family expression, should say. But one group of nobles turned around and said, we ain't working with them, and we ain't working with you, but we'll do the work. Now, what happens if you're in a church and you've got a family like that? Guess what? Sit down. No, we'll work. No, you won't. Why? Because it's how you 
react and, re and respond to other people that determines whether you consider them. It's not about getting you to do a job. We're not here to do jobs. We're here to be a family. Last week, everyone had roles. But everyone had a cause, a common cause. And if the common cause can't unite people, then all you've got is individuals. You can't lead individuals. You lead a collective family. But you deal with individuals en route. So we've realized that in Isaac, there are those who want to play big brother. And when they step in certain nations, they feel they should be given a certain treatment. But because there is now a power of one working on the ground, and there's now brotherhood on the ground, the less likelihood of that behavior ever happening. And brothers now are being called into account for their behavior. Yes, it's right. It should be. And because of that, if there is no brotherhood on the ground, then there's nothing on the ground. If there's no power of one on the ground in your family, then there's nothing in your family. It's every man for himself. That's no good, is it? So, without doubt, the grace to build will mature the builder. Now, silly me, I have this insatiable desire to build. I remember studying Holy Trinity one day, Papa Jonathan speaking, and I just thought, I just want to be a builder. And then, prophet, and then Papa Jonathan begins to prophesy, he's seeing you a heart of a builder. And God's going to start giving you power tools. And God's going to start doing this, and God's going to start doing that. But then God's going to have to start strip you. Then God's going to have to do this, and God's doing, no, just tell me the part about building. I like that part. Don't tell me the part about shaving and, and, uh, and cutting things off and the rough edges off and things like that. But guess what? That's the heart of the builder. So he's saying, I recognize, Tony, I hear the cry of a builder, but you also need to know the process. Do you still want the deal? Yes, I still want the deal. Now I'm saying, Lord, you give me the heart of a builder. Now I want the mind of a strategist. Because I know the heart of the building's there. I don't fight that. I don't ask for that anymore. I know it's there. Because I see it governing, I see it governing my life. Everything I try to do is patterns. Build patterns into people's life. And, but the strategy now is the challenge to, to harness this power of one. And how do we use it? How do we use it for the greater good, for the common cause? Because when you can harness strategy, sorry, when you can strategize and harness that, that power of one in the church, we become an unstoppable force. An unstoppable force. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, it says this. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, he was pleased to reveal the Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And then he says, I didn't consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter. Right? Underline that word acquainted with Peter. And I stayed with him for 15 days. 
and I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother, I assure you before God that what I'm writing is no lie. You know, we all have revelation, don't we? We all have revelation. We all have a measure of revelation. Everyone has their individual portion of revelation. It's, for some, it might be minimal. For others, it might be greater. But we all have a portion. Is that true? We all have relationships, do we not? At some measure, some people's circle may be great. Others may be small. But we may all have relationship or access to relationships. But what we don't all have is submission to one another. So you can have revelation, you can have relationships, but the likelihood is submission is a different issue. Submitting to those relationships is a different issue. But the, but the issue is this. If you have relationships, but you're not submissive to anyone, you have no relationship. I'm submissive to my relationships. I'm submissive to Carol. What I mean, submissive, let me rephrase that in case you want to try and tie me in knots and say, well, a man's not supposed to be submissive, a woman's supposed to be submissive to her husband, da-da-da-da-da-da. What I mean by that is I'm accountable. And in that accountability, I'm submissive. Okay? So I got myself out of that one because a wife still needs to be submissive to her husband. But I am submissive in that accountability and that transparency. Yes? I need to be in that relationship. I am also submissive to my children. Why? Because if they see faults in me, they have the right to challenge me. Is that not fair? Of course it is. I can't be telling my kids about all their faults and the kids not have access to me and say, Dad, sort yourself out. You're hypocritical. Look at the way you treat mum. You never want your kids to be able to turn around and say, I don't like the way you treat mum. Oy, we're in trouble then. I'm submissive to Paul and Phil. If I'm not submissive to the elders, I'm in trouble. I have to be submissive in my relationships. So before you go around telling everybody you've got all these relationships, let me ask you a simple question. Who are you submissive to? Well, I'm submissive to my husband. Well, great, that's a great place to start. That's a fantastic place to start. But you also need to be submissive to other relationships. Why? Because you, you know and I know, we know how to talk to our partners. And we know how to argue with our partners. And we know how to manipulate our partners should we want to. And we know how to dismiss our partners even though they're telling us the truth. Come on, be, be real with yourself. But if I, if I say to Phil, you know, Carol, da-da, Carol, da-da, 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 da start shooting Carol down in front of Phil, I expect Phil to say, whoa, 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 Kimo Savvy. I expect him to turn around and say, hang on, something doesn't sound right there. Can we not talk about this? <coughs> if I'm not submissive in my relationship to him, I'll poo-poo him. But he might be right. He might be saying the same thing Carol's saying. Did it feel good? I said, did it feel good? 
No. Do I like it? No, but is it right? Paul became submissive to these people, or to Peter, and to the, those he connected with. Let's read this a minute. 15 days. Now, I'd like to think, if I stayed with you for 15 days, we're going to either kill or cure each other. Is that not right? He stayed with him for 15 days. He didn't just say, I'm here one night only. Let's get together. Let's just have a meal. Let's just catch up. Let's just do life. Yeah? No. 15 days. In other words, during these 15 days, you're going to have a good look at me, and I'm going to have a good look at you. And after 15 days, if we don't like each other, we're probably going to tell each other. Because Paul was, Paul was a straightforward thinker, and Peter couldn't keep his mouth shut. Right? So Peter was going to tell you whether they like you or not. Right? And Paul would tell you that as well. So it's in, it's in the getting acquainted. It's in the getting acquainted with one another that the power of one starts its journey. Yeah? But if you don't get acquainted with your brothers and sisters in this room, 15 days, never mind 15 days, just give 15 minutes. Give it, and I, well, how do I do that? I'm a busy. The cafe. The cafe. Let me emphasize the cafe. It's a place where you don't have to eat. But if you want to eat, there's food. The cafe is a place, a platform for you to go and build relationships with. You don't even have to drink coffee or tea if you don't like tea or coffee. You don't have to buy anything. Well, I can go in the cafe, not bad. It may not be your culture to eat a sandwich. You might want maize. We're not selling maize. You don't have to eat. But what you can do is go and get to know somebody. The cafe was created with you in mind. The cafe was never a profit-making venture. It doesn't make profit. We covered our overheads. The issue with the cafe was not to get your money in, uh, in our hands. The issue of the cafe is to build relationships. It becomes a portal for connecting people together. Please, please, please use the cafe. Why? Because it's a place to connect. But you won't connect if you just keep going straight on. Why? Because you're not considering other people. You might think, well, I'm busy. I've got other things to do. But what about somebody who might want to connect with you? Think about that. Please, just... Put some room in your heart. Give that some thought. The cafe's not there for you to eat. It's the, that's the, you know, the opportunity to eat is there. It's there to build relationships, to, to get to know one another. Because when you might come in, you might come in lastminute.com. The worship starts, and then you might go straight away. You don't know anybody. And you think, well, that's what I want. Then guess what? You're not in the power of one. You're just one. And you might like that, and you might want that, and you might, you might say, well, that's great, all my relationships are outside. Well, then you're not part of the power of one. Why? Because we must have consideration for one another. That's what being a family is all about. Well, I, you're not, actually, you're not my family, you're just my church. Listen to yourself. Listen to where you are. Well, I don't look to this church for my support. I have friends outside. Listen to yourself. 
the power of one has equal concern for each other. Well, show me that in the Bible. Well, I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Ephesians 2, 21. So there should be no division in the body, but, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Can I make it any plainer than that? You're in a body, and all the parts should have equal concern for each other. I didn't write that. Scripture did this. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 25. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now, modern day English has made that really easy. We should all understand that. Reading it is the first step. Understanding it is the second step. Practicing it is the third step. When you're, when you're building a governing church and you have different cultures, there are different needs and different, different you know, I like about when we have a, bring a plate, when we have bring a plate, the food selection's great. I like it, I like it. Last week we had meatballs. We had another dish, I don't know what it was, pasta with something else. We had Sandwiches, we had fried chicken, we had a world buffet. Brilliant. Some of those Danes had never seen some of that food. Some of those Germans had never seen that food. So it was good that we gave them. Now, why? Because everyone brought that. Now, we all ate it. In fact, the evidence was it got cleared. And we carried it, we carried it away and took it home with us. So the evidence is you've got no problem eating other man's food. So we can't use the cafe and say, I don't like, I don't like toasties. The cafe's not the issue. The food's not the issue. Last week, we sat down and we fellowshiped. Oh, let me phrase that. We didn't fellowship. We sat down and had food and talked. That's not fellowship. But the meatballs t- did taste good. I had one of them with a bit of gravy on it, and it was nice. And I thought... I'm having that again. Note to self. Find the person who made it and commission them to keep making it. That's an apostolic commission. Ephesians 2.21, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And the last is John 17.9. This is the, I've been waiting to get this for, for the last couple of weeks, but I'm here now, but even, even no, I'm here, I'm not, I'm not here. I'm just putting it on the radar. John 17, 9, this is Jesus praying for you and for me. He's praying for the disciples, but his prayer is going beyond the disciples. This is his prayer. I want you to read it, and I want you to see it like Jesus is praying for you, because he is praying for you. I pray For them, I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And the glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. And then he says this, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name that you gave me, so that they may be one 
as we are one. So the model was the Trinity. We're one. We're one. He's stating the power of one is in the Trinity. But now he's saying, I'm praying that they grasp the concept and come into the reality of what's already established and has been established forever and ever and ever. We want them to join in this power of one because that's how we think. That's how we function. Can you see that? The Godhead functions in the power of one. And Jesus is praying. The sovereign Lord is praying and he's got one issue on his heart is that I'm not praying for them no more. I know that you've, you've give, they've given glory to me through them. I understand all that. The transaction's been sealed. But I'm praying that they enter into this power of one. Because the potential is there for them to fall out with each other. The potential is them to get involved in cultural difference. The potential in them is to be, become so individualistic that they all carry their own crusade. But thank God, do you not think Paul's journey to get acquainted with Peter was that prayer being fulfilled? Paul was doing the very thing Jesus prayed for, that they become one as we are one. And Paul and Peter says it. Paul says it. I went there to get acquainted, and his mind and his heart had moved towards the power of one. And he knew that if I go to Jerusalem and meet these guys, there's going to be a power of one. And don't forget, this guy had been the one that had been persecuting them all. So there was reticence there to accept him. But when Peter begins to hear Paul and how God had saved him and touched his life and turned him around, Peter begins to realize, this guy's one of us. But there's also a little part in Peter that's thinking, we're not quite sure. So I'll keep you at a distance. Fifteen days sorted the deal out. Fifteen days sorted the deal out. Now, have you ever been away with a family? Have you ever been away with your neighbors? Or a friend? After 15 days, you conclude, we ain't going back with them again. It's true. After 15 days on holiday, you say, I ain't going on holiday again next year with them. Why? And then you start spurting out all the indifferences. Or you say, it was a good holiday that last year, this year, wasn't it? Yeah, should we do it again? Should we ask him again? After 15 days, you've sorted each other out. You've sussed each other out. Yeah? But the heart there is to acquaint, get acquainted. Church, I have to say this time and time and time and time again. If we just keep doing the same things we've always done, we'll keep getting the same things we've always got. We must synergize greater. We must have a common concern and we, for each other. We must, we must, we must. We've got to see what's in our midst and connect. You, just your mate is you and your mate, but you and your mate should get another mate. Hello? Let me say that again. I might have a, I might have a good bonding with Phil, but he can't be the only friend I've got. He'll, after 15 minutes, he's going to kill me, or I'm going to kill him. So I need others. I can't just stay with me and my little friend. We're not at high school anymore. And if she talks to somebody, I'm going to scratch her eyes out and go on and sulk. Stop, let's, let's not be like children. Let's grow up and let's consider one another. Let's inquire, how are you doing? Is there anything I can, I can pray? Take to the Lord. 
Come on. Let's start by using that cafe to our advantage. Plan time. Plan time on a Sunday to spend time with the family. Amen? Amen? I stand to our feet. There's so much grace in this house, so much talent, and we all say, yes, 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 but the challenge comes again. But do you know in who? Do you know who's got the talent? Do you know who's got the grace? Do you know who's got what you need? Our prayer should be the same prayer as Jesus. Let's work to fulfill the prayer of Jesus. Let's pray. Let's work to fulfill the prayer of Jesus. That's our motivation. Lord, if you prayed it, it's important. If you prayed it, it's real. So, Lord, I'm going to pray, O oh Lord, that you're going to move my life. You're going to put people in my life. You're going to help me move. You're going to put certain people in my heart that I'm going to move towards. And I'm going to get acquainted with them. Lord, because I want to move in this power of one. So, Lord, do a number on my heart. Show me, oh God, people. Don't let them out of my mind, Lord. I'm going to move towards them. I'm going to make room in my life to create the power of one. I'm going to get to know some people I've never really got to know before. So, Father... Help me this day to, to fulfill the prayer of yours. Help me, oh God. Help me to give me hands that reach over the wall. Give me eyes that see beyond my natural self. Give me a heart to feel and capture things other than my own circumstances. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name to help me fulfill the power of one. To fulfill the prayer of, 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 of Jesus Christ. Lord, I know it's your heart. I know it's your heart to do that. So, oh God, I'm going to, going to pull my heart, my mind and my spirit together. I'm going to pull my family together. I'm going to pull our house together. We're going to make our house open for people to get to know us. We're going to become acquainted with people. This is your desire for us, oh God. Oh God, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now that each one will carry this concern. Each one will carry this heart. Each one, oh God, let it come through the line of this house. Let it come through the lineage of this house. Let it become the lineage, oh God. Let it become the signature of this house. Let that observation that was made last week about this being a family, let it become our lifestyle. Let it, be, let it fulfill your heart, oh God. Oh God. Don't, Lord, don't just let this die of this Sunday morning. Lord, let this become a life message in us. Let it become a life message within us, Lord. Oh, Father. Your will be done, Lord. On earth as it is in heaven. Oh, mighty God. Your heart is towards us, oh God, but our hearts are not always towards others. So focus our hearts, oh God. Even, this, even in this moment right now, oh God, do it. Do it, Lord. I, do, I pray, Lord, you do it right across this room. Put a concern. Open our eyes to others. Oh, Father. Kuria Sabaranda. In Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.
Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a stand ovation. You know, when we think about the power of one, think about the sick. Think about the people who can't get out. Think about a, think about a phone call. Think about an email. Think about FaceTime. Think about those things. Because behind their technologies, right, they're just technologies we can use to reach others. But you'll never use FaceTime, Facebook, email, or whatever if you're not carrying other people in your heart. Use, this, you know, use it to, to reach out to the sick. You may not be able to get to them. Maybe you might be busy that week, but you can send them a message thinking about you this week. Like to have a coffee with you. Oh, no, you don't drink coffee. Just like to sit down in the cafe with you. We can all drink water together. I don't know anybody who don't like water. Let's think about it, guys. Let's take it to an action. Let's not just, let's not just take it away as a concept. That's the worst thing we can do is take it away as a concept. Let's take it away as a practice. Amen? Look around. Look around. This is the family. I know there's people missing here this morning. Look around. Yeah. Come on, get acquainted with all the crowd. Some good-looking people in here this morning. And you're all one of them. Look around, because these are the people that you're doing life with. This is the family that God chose to put you in. Well, I don't like them. Well, get to like them. Don't be happy with that statement. I don't like them. I have nothing in common with them. Well, get something in common with them. You won't get anything in common with them if you don't get acquainted with them. Amen? Come on, take it away as a practice. This is something God's challenging us about. We're not going to go into the next phase of our house if we do not have this. Yeah? Lord bless you.